This is a Podcast Now production. I drank some mouthwash. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm really, and I got into my car to drive across the island to take one for the team. And I got to his office fully prepared to record a podcast. Everybody, come on, move on. Fully Prepared with Andy King. I think the entertainment industry is just full of people who are desperately trying to get famous because I think they believe that fame equals love. You soon realise it's nothing of it. It's, it's so, it doesn't mean that at all in the slightest. Becoming famous does not mean people love you. It means they just, they just recognise you. You know, we're here, we have one go at this life and you've got to live your own life too, you know? And that's an important thing. And I'm still struggling with life like everybody else. I'm sitting there, you know, taking a pee and I get this, I don't want to freak you out, but hey, Andy, I know who you are. And I'm like, really? Are we having this conversation right now? I'm just trying to take a pee. Fire Festival became the hottest thing in the world because of social media. And it also went down in seconds because of the fucking cheese sandwich that I served somebody because they were drunk. And boom, I mean, it was gone in seconds, the whole festival. So his name's Jonathan Ross, he's big over here. And I went up to him and I said, Jonathan, um, I've got my show reel here. Would you want to take a look at it for me? And he goes, uh, why would I want to do that? And I said, well, maybe you could look at it and, and help me. He goes, no, I don't want any more competition in the industry, fuck off. But he did it, it was smiling and funny and it was, it was, it was humorous <laughs> and I loved him for it. Oh my God, I'm actually having a weed <laughs> to be Diddy. <laughs> So I suppose that's how I went the extra yard. Well, there was no blowjobs though, Andy. No <laughs> blowjobs, I promise you. I got it without doing a blowjob. No blowjobs? Wow, come on, Tim, how boring. Well, I want to welcome everybody today to Fully Prepared with Andy King, and I'm excited to introduce Tim Lovejoy, another comrade from across the pond. And I've been interviewing a lot of people from across the pond, which has been a lot of fun. Trying to expand my base of knowledge to what other people are thinking in other places, but also give the ability to my listeners and viewers to tune in and, and hear some different stuff as well. And we've got Tim today. Tim, wow, where do I start? I'm just going to give a quick little rundown of from being a wonderful presenter on television for quite a long time and it's funny because I've been speaking to a few of my pals in London and they're like oh my gosh really Tim Lovejoy soccer AM that was one of my favorite shows as a kid that I would watch every Saturday morning I was like oh my word and that from music to and I know you've got Sunday brunch which is your television show you've had now you're about to celebrate 10 years yeah pretty amazing pretty amazing a podcast dear Lovejoy and I love the fact that you kind of also are into topics like mental health and drug reform, a lot of the things that people just don't like to talk about. And now your new platform, Lovejoy, I don't know, you'll have to describe that to me a little bit more, content from experts on Dear Lovejoy. So Tim, how did you get started? Did you know as a young person that you were gonna be definitely focusing on media and television and radio? Well, no, it's actually what they call desperation. I'd, I'd started, <laughs> like all young men, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a footballer. And then I was like, oh, actually, I'm not. No one's come and scouted me. And then it was like, okay, so I'm just going to go and make loads of money, like people think. And then I didn't do very well at school, if I'm honest with you. And then I just started thinking, well, you know, what can I do? I tried to work in finance and mortgages and things like that. I found it really dull. And then it sort of dawned on me that I could possibly work in television. I was young. I was naive. I've got literally no right to be working in entertainment. But what happened was I just sort of had that desperation. I had a guest on my show who's a another uh, radio DJ in England. He's called Sean Keaveney. Um, he was very popular. He said, um, desperation is the engine behind inspiration. And I, and I think that's that's what happened to me. I was inspired because I was so desperate. And, and I just 
the sort of stuff I used to do was just incredible. I used to make showreels of myself and I used to send out all these like little campaigns to producers about why I should work in TV. But the one thing I knew I could do was communicate. I'm, I, I love talking and, I love, and I'm inquisitive, I'm curious. So I knew it was something that I would enjoy doing. So that's how I kind of got into it. That's how I moved myself towards this career. Well, you think about like my mother would always say necessity is the mother of invention, right? And so there it was. You were in different situations like, shit, I got to figure things out. And how am I going to get to where I need to go? That's like a lot of the journey there, right? It's like, okay, it's not necessarily when you get there. It's what does it take to get there? And that's what kind of builds a person and makes them who they are today, right? I mean, that's the whole thing, the journey. Kids want everything immediately today, and I think that's a challenge for them. I think the exciting bit is the journey. I've interviewed lots of people on my podcast, and I've done a lot in sport, as you mentioned earlier, Soccer M. And often the biggest problem, it's really you're able to see this through sport, that um, when people win the medal, they become the best in the world. Their team wins the World Cup or something like that. They, They often feel really depressed because... They've achieved what they want to achieve. And it's actually the journey which drives them all. Once they've got there and they know what they want, it's very hard to then work out where you go next. Whereas when you're on your journey on the way up, it's always really good fun because it's, you know, it's what you've got no expectation. It's just a, it's just a risk and, a, and, a, and an adventure. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I feel I'm still on my adventure. I'm, I'm, you know, anytime now I'm going to come over the pond and make it in America. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You got to always continue the journey. I mean, every day you wake up, you're like, all right, what am I going to do today? But you bring up a good point. I mean, you find it so often now where famous people, celebrities, people that are well-known often will fight mental health like there's no tomorrow and they keep it you know on the down low obviously but once you get there you lose your anonymity you can't do the things you really love that loved to do once upon a time because people are constantly watching you and you trip yourself up i mean i'm always looking for recommendations listen i'm not totally there but i am the guy at times where paparazzi follows me on the beach and then People are always pointing or videoing me at restaurants. And suddenly, it becomes a head game. How do you handle that? Do you know what was really interesting? I recently went on holiday to Svalbard, which is an island in the... It's the furthest north I think you can go on the planet and stay in a hotel. It's in the Arctic Circle, sort of owned by Norway and Russia at the same time. And I went there. I think they've got 2,500 people who live on it and then maybe another 1,000 tourists or something. So it's very small. And whilst I was there, I had this thing where, you know, I, you know, in America, no one would know who the hell I am. But over in Britain, you know, everywhere I go, there's sort of someone will come and say, can I have a photo with you or something like that. And suddenly I was over in there and, and no one knew what I did or no one knew anything about British TV or media or something. It's just this wonderful feeling that you suddenly have, which is like, this is great. This is what life should be like, not being people watching you when you get on the tube and and stuff like that. And, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And the ridiculous thing is, I reckon when I first started on my journey to get into TV, that one of the big driving factors was probably fame. I think that, you know, there's a lot of people in the entertainment industry. It's the, come on, let's get famous. And then when you get into it, there's more to it. There's the, the actual job that you enjoy doing. And the, and the fame becomes just part and parcel of, of the actual job. So I don't know where I am now. I think you know you have to accept that fame comes comes with the job, but it's actually not the best thing. The best thing is to I think maybe avoid it and try and keep as as low key as possible. But you know it, it's hard for especially American stars because they they become huge worldwide hits, don't they? It's very hard to to hide it. But yeah, I think the entertainment industry is just full of people who are desperately trying to get famous because I think they believe that fame equals love you soon realize it's nothing of it. It's, it's so, it doesn't mean that at all in the slightest. Becoming famous does not mean people love you. It means they just, they just recognize you. That's all it means. I mean, and I, as you can imagine, obviously my situation with Fire Festival, I ran a wonderful, successful career as an event planner in New York City for 30 years. And I was brought in to help save a very unique and rare situation. I had six weeks to do it, and you know the end. I wasn't able to save it. And suddenly I become this viral star around the world. I mean, can you imagine being streamed into 90 million homes around the world? And it wasn't like I 
I never thought anybody would watch the documentary, and I didn't think that it would make any money. And I said, you know, whatever, I'm just going to do this because I was trying to help create a vehicle to pay back everybody in the Bahamas. And then suddenly, it doesn't matter where I go, whatever I do, people are like, that's the guy, you know. And most, a lot of people come up and go, oh, you're the scam guy. I mean, how would you like to live with that for the rest of your life? And I'm like, the scam guy? I mean, I just came in to help. I was never paid. I didn't have a signed contract. I'm friends with Billy's family. And then suddenly it's on me. And there it is where every day you face this, you know, I. it was great to be able to rise to fame. But then how do you monetize that where half the world thinks you're the coolest person and then there's a percentage that are like, oh, wait, keep away from this guy. He's toxic. That fire festival, you know, that mind game every day, it does empower me, but it's it does trip you up. I tell you, I mean, Tim, it's a... I'm fascinated to talk to more people that are in the public eye and how they handle. I mean, failure is not easy. I get on stage, I talk about failure. And I do feel like from what I've listened and heard and and your reputation, you do make the world a better place. You do drive positivity. You obviously bring up some controversial issues at times, but you have a great persona, which I love. And I wish more people spread a positive energy and love in my situation, it's a challenge. And, uh, but, you know, I embrace it every day, but I do feel for so many people where, you know, failure is not easy to handle. And what do you do? How do you counsel people on failure? What do you think, Tim, with mental health? You know what? I, I started a podcast and it was an Agni Uncle podcast. So my, I don't really talk about my mental health issues on TV too much. I have done a couple of times, but I decided to start doing them on my podcast because it was something that I'd you know I'd, I'd had I don't like to say suffering from depression anymore because I think suffering is the wrong word I had depression and what my theory was that I would do is I wouldn't take the drugs I would just try and read as much about it obviously there's a lot of people with a lot of depression I thought there must be a reason why we're going through this so I spent a, a long time reading. My podcast went from being just an agony uncle type thing where I'd read so many self-help books, I thought I could start helping people. But it was a humorous podcast. But I started interviewing experts. And then, you know, eventually I changed the name of it to the Lovejoy Hour. The reason being is I thought I'd keep it to an hour long and I'd interview all these experts on mental health and sleep and fitness and you know, how to basically navigate through life. And, and that's how it turned into what it's turned into. Now, I still have celebrity on there, a lot of celebrity, and they tell me how they're dealing with things a bit like how you're doing here with me. So that's what I did. And, and I'm actually getting more out of it than I think the listener, because I'm learning so much about <laughs> how to deal with, with every sort of situation and what to do. I, I've just done a brilliant podcast on on diet um, this week, uh, I've got one from uh, Daniel H. Pink, who I think you know in America, the guy there, he's done one, a book called The Power of Regret. So I'm speaking to him and uh, he's talking to me about how to deal with regret and stuff like that. And so, I, so I'm always just trying to learn as much as possible. Just to go back though, I don't know, I can't remember his first name. I think it's Joseph Noble, you know, from the Nobel Prize. Do you know the story of him talking about your situation, Andy? No, I don't. The story with him was... Oh, right. Well, he'd invented dynamite and his brother died. And when his brother died, the, uh, they thought it was him. And his eulogy was that he had invented this, uh, this substance which had killed thousands of people. And he looked at it and read and went, oh, my God, I've done really bad stuff for the world. So he invented the Nobel Peace Prize. And now that's what he's known for rather than inventing dynamite. So you have that chance, which is what you're doing now, which is... You, are, you became known for something that you don't want to be known for, Evian and uh, blowjobs and uh, whatever else. And instead, <laughs> Thanks, you, you, you can now, be, you can invent the Andy King Peace Prize because now, you know, now you've got your fame, you can do something with it. So as long as you realize that and you don't just stay like, I don't know, some of the other American stars who seem to be obsessed with just buying things, you know, as long as you're trying to do something good, I think it's a... Uh, You've got the chance. You've, you've been given that chance, which is fantastic. It is a great opportunity. And I look at it that way every day. I think one of the challenges for me personally is that so many people reach out to me every day and like, wow, um, we're just producing a play and we'd love to have you do a reading and, and tell us what you think. And then I'll, I read it and I say, oh, you know, I, it's not too bad. And then they'll say, oh, great. Well, we're we're doing a Zoom reading and we'd love to have you just listen in and tell us what you think about the actors. And I, okay, great. And 
Suddenly it's at five o'clock on a Friday. I'm not saying I have nothing better to do, but generally, yes, we're heading out somewhere. And then the reading goes on for two hours. And my partner says, Andy, you've got to drop off. We have a dinner reservation. We've got to get out of here. So I send a little message. And the next, you know, say, wow, we were so disappointed that you didn't follow it till the end and you didn't continue on the Zoom. And But we'd love to have a discussion with you. We were kind of hoping that you know, you would invest in our play and maybe back it. And I'm like, wait, what? what is going on? First you're saying, you know, and then it just comes around. Well, we know, I say, well, I'm not really in that position. Well, we know you made a lot of money off of Fire Festival and that incredible documentary. I'm like, I don't know what you're reading. I didn't get paid a penny. That documentary, the festival itself, probably cost me over a million dollars or more. But it's the, amazing the kinds of people that reach out. And then suddenly they just flip it around. I'm like, whoa, wait, I, I'm not that per- I would love, in the day, I backed a lot of small plays and off-Broadway and what have you. Now, at 60 years old, I'm trying to recreate myself, reinvent myself every day. And But I'm. it's that fine line of like disappointing some people when they approach you on different issues. I'm sure you must get it every day, right? Hey, Tim, can you do this? Can you do that? I mean, how do you handle it politically well? I don't know. Do you know what? It's one of those impossible things. Yeah. You go into your DMs in your social media and it's full of people asking, please, can you just help me? Please, please, please. And and it's a real tough one because you've got to draw a line because you know, we're here, we have one go at this life and you've got to live your own life too, you know? And that's an important thing. And I'm still struggling with life like everybody else. I did a podcast, by the way, I put all this stuff on my website, lovejoy.co.uk, so people can read it. But I did a podcast the other day about time. And one of the really interesting things about time, which is where things like the Fire Festival, sort of uh, how that gains its momentum and stuff, is people are scared of missing out, right? This, this thing called FOMO. Now, it's impossible now for us not to miss out. Absolutely impossible. You've got a limited amount of time. And yet, when I was a kid growing up, I had the chance of maybe one holiday a year. Generally, it wasn't abroad because we didn't have the money until later on. And we played football. That was all our choices. It was very easy. Now, as a young kid, you've got the chance of doing skateboarding, rock climbing, football, rugby, tennis, you know, swimming, triathlon, UFC or whatever, uh, mixed martial arts. There's so many different opportunities open that it's impossible not to miss out because you can't do them all. You're sitting here and I'm having a chat with you, Andy. I could be, at this moment, I could be in the Alps. I love snowboarding. I could be in Hawaii surfing. I've never done it, but I'd like to. I could be in Barcelona just sitting around trying to look European. I could be anywhere (laughs) in the world because I've got the finances and I've got the ability to do it. Yeah, I can't. I'd rather be speaking to Andy King, but, you know, I can't do it because you can't be everywhere. So I'm definitely missing out. And I think this becomes a real problem with people. And they're always trying to. I mean, this this is getting away from your people asking you for favors all the time. But but this is what people are doing. They're demanding people's time as well, because they feel if they can get hold of me or you or something like that, then I can facilitate their life. I actually can't. They've got to do it on their own. I can't do anything for anybody. But, you know, they believe I can constantly. And I think that's that's where you you get yourself into that position. The reality is you have to start, you know, being very precious with your time because you only get one go at this. The great thing to do is to always imagine you're lying on, this is my technique anyway, I always imagine I'm lying on my deathbed and looking back and I'm thinking, you know, did I enjoy my conversation with Andy? Yeah, it was worth it. Did I enjoy something else? No. Why the hell am I doing that? Why am I going to do that again? I'm not, you know, because you've only got one go. I actually have a thing on my fridge, Andy, which is called a death chart. And it's got all little dots for how long I've been alive per month. And then it's got a load of dots, which I haven't colored in, which are dots to the estimated life expectancy when I was born and my estimated life expectancy now. And I hate to say this at 53, you know, I'm kind of two thirds bit like that through it. So every single dot now I I cherish and I think, so someone asked me to do something, I'm not sure. I just go, no, I've done, you're going to take up one of my dots and you're not allowed to have one of my dots. My dots are my dots. Everyone thinks it's sick. I think it's absolutely liberating having a death chart on your fridge. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, that is hysterical. I mean, my experiences that are similar to that in my world of hosting all these large celebrity events in Hollywood, and because as you may know, my ethos is all about sustainability. And so 
LA, Los Angeles and San Francisco has more of the, that climate, so to speak, of people who are really more worried about climate change than people on the East Coast. So dealing with some of the big celebrities, my staff is always having to deal with all the handlers. And I'm like, what the frick is with these handlers? Like, really? So Tim comes to a party with a handler? Really, Tim? I mean, come on. Now I know. Like, I can't say too much, but like my partner and I were at a pool party, you know, on Sunday, just a couple days ago. And of course, I secretly, I'm the celebrity guest, you know, they could see everybody pointing, whatever, you know, I go down to a corner of the pool and I sit down and Craig's like, you okay? I said, I'm great. Got a little drink and it's, I'm in my bathing suit and hanging out and then boom, in they come. And it's always that person that just wants to talk to you for an hour. I mean, I'm like, and they just get your ear and I'm like, Jesus, I mean, can you, is there someone else, you know, and I don't mean to want to be rude and I'm trying to always stay like interested and engaged, but there's so many people out there, as you say, it just becomes like a time suck. And I'm like, I want to be, you know, as a younger person, I had a psychiatrist in New York and I would go to him once a week and I'd say, you know, I'm struggling because I just don't know who Andy King is, you know, and I, I would host these very large parties in my home and I would do a lot of opening parties for Broadway shows and we'd have a couple hundred people and I'd supply all the food and the staff and a beautiful venue and I'd be in the middle of the room chatting away. But I don't know if you ever read the book Catcher in the Rye and wonderful Catcher in the Rye, the main character is Holden Caulfield and Holden and I, I felt like we were kindred spirits because... I would always be in the middle of the room, and I don't know if you ever feel like this, Tim, but very often I'd always find myself outside the room looking in, even though I was in the center of the room. I could tell you what everybody was wearing, what everybody was talking about, on and on. I wasn't always present because it was always like, gosh, who are these people or who am I, you know, and why are they here? And I'd say to my psychiatrist, you know, I just, I don't know who they think I am. They're like, Andy, well, you're the guy. I mean, you own the house. You're hosting a party for a Broadway show. You work hard as an event planner. That's who you are. I'm like, I don't know. And one person mentioned yesterday, oh, Andy, you mean the imposter syndrome? Have you ever heard of that, Tim? Yep. I'd never heard of it. I was like, oh, so you feel like you're an imposter in your own body? Or how does that work? How would you define the imposter syndrome? Well, I had the imposter syndrome quite a lot when I was uh, younger because, uh, as I said, I always felt like I didn't have the right to be doing my job because I didn't go to the right school, didn't have anyone in my family with entertainment history. But, you know, it kind of goes away when you realise you're, uh, you're half decent at your job, which is, uh, you know, I've been on TV now every weekend in, over here in the UK for, uh, for 27 years. So, so I've done something right, that's for sure. And I've had radio shows. So. And, Whatever else. And um, what's interesting, your point there about the entourage, the handlers, as you call it, or the entourage, that only happens really on my TV show. We get a lot of Americans over, and, and Americans are really the only ones who bring a huge entourage. The Brits turn up, maybe a makeup artist, maybe a PA or something like that. The Americans turn up with the record label, the or the cinema, the what do the studio exec, the, the makeup artist, the da da da. And they turn up with this huge entourage. And I was always wondering why they do that. And I, and I think, and you can tell me, because I don't know anything about the entertainment industry in America, apart from I watch it and I love it. I think it might be a status symbol. And I worry about that because if you're surrounding yourself with lots of people who are giving you status, then it could be slightly artificial. You know, we're all looking for status in our life. And that's part of the problem with a lot of humans is you're always, you know, a lot of unhappy people out there because they're not quite getting the status um, you know, we can we can look at events going on in the world scene at the moment, which which seems pretty much like that. Everyone battling it out for status. But I wondered, is that why they turn up on my show with huge entourages? Because I don't know why they need them all. Is it a status symbol, do you think? Well, yes, I think it's a status symbol. But I also feel like a lot of the big famous celebrities here in the States, but it's got to be everywhere, are incredibly insecure. I mean, totally insecure. And I know many of them where they're like, well, I, I, I'm not sure I'm even funny anymore. Or I, I don't even, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I haven't gotten a good movie in two years. I don't know. I'm really worried. And what was the, there was a piece recently about so many of the comedians are saying, well, I'm going to be banished. I'm sure I'll be broken the next two years because comedians are just dropping left and right for saying the wrong things these days and being politically incorrect and being, you know, 
I was like, wow, that pressure. And I know that personally, if I'm at a restaurant or I go to a party or I go anywhere, I don't like being left alone because I don't want to be exposed to everybody just coming up randomly. It just doesn't become a lot of fun anymore. And so Craig will say, hey, I'm heading to the bathroom. I'm like, oh my gosh. Or I'll say, I have to go to the bathroom. Do you know how many people approach me in the men's room? And I don't think it's because of the blowjob, but I mean... (laughs) It's not, I cannot go to, I can't go to the bathroom in restaurants or parties because it's always like I'm sitting there, you know, taking a pee and I get this, I don't want to freak you out, but hey, Andy, I know who you are. And I'm like, really? Are we having this conversation right now? I'm just trying to take a pee. So I feel like I'm not trying to give, you know, celebrities like the excuse of the entourage, but I do understand like Sometimes I go to places where I just don't want to be standing on my own. The second I'm on my own, I get approached by all these, I don't want to say weird people. A lot of people are perfectly nice, but very often, fucking weirdos. It just freak me out. And then I become really insecure. Like, I don't even know what to tell them anymore. I'm defending myself. Did I say the right thing? Are they going to post this? Is someone recording me? You know, I mean... As quickly as you know, Fire Festival became the hottest thing in the world because of social media. And it also went down in seconds because of the fucking cheese sandwich that I served somebody because they were drunk. And boom, I mean, it was gone in seconds, the whole festival. And I mean, do you fear the world of social media like that too? Yeah, I think that the world of social media is quite dangerous. I was just thinking when you were saying that, though, I was one of those guys once who would approach you because I was young and I was desperate. And I'm just I was just feeling their pain there. They see you and they think, this is my ticket. There's my ticket. And and then they, they want to approach you. And I remember approaching a very famous TV presenter over here. And I said to him, I'm all my mates going, you've got to go and talk to him because, you know, you've got your show, have you got your show reel on you? I said, yeah. So I wandered up to him and I, and I went, uh, his name's Jonathan Ross, he's big over here. And I went up to him and I said, Jonathan, um, I've got my show reel here. Would you want to take a look at it for me? And he goes, uh, why would I want to do that? And I said, well, maybe you could look at it and, and help me. He goes, no, I don't want any more competition in the industry. Fuck off. But he did it. It was smiling and funny and it was, it was, it was humorous. And I loved him for it. But I just thought, holy shit, he must get that all day long that people are coming up going, you know, come on, give me a chance. So, so I just put myself in their position for one minute and I thought, you know what? If we're putting ourselves out there, then we're going to get people who see you as the ticket. Andy, may I tell you my toilet story very quickly? Please do. <laughs> so I don't know if you know David Beckham. You must know David Beckham. He's a, he's a huge Absolute. great footballer. Right. So he used to, he was captain of England and, and he used to hold these World Cup parties um, before the World Cup. And, and it was very small parties, like going to a wedding or something, but it was just jam full of all, all the England players and then huge celebrities would turn up to them. So I was sat down, I was invited and I was like, this is because I did a lot with football years ago. And so I'm I'm sat down at this party and around my table, like everywhere you look, there's there's celebrities. Sitting right next to me was David Blaine, right? Lovely bloke, kept on doing magic tricks. And I've got to be honest with you, I'm I'm not being nasty, but after a while it's like, David, you know, I didn't say this, but I was uh, I've had enough magic tricks, just fuck off. (laughs) Take your crook cards and go somewhere else. I mean, his magic tricks were amazing, but after a while it gets a bit boring. Anyway, I wander off to the toilet and I'm stood there and I couldn't believe it because everywhere I looked. And for us, I mean, James Brown actually played this party. James Brown played it, did a gig there. It was that big. James Brown, for God's sake. I got to watch James Brown. So I go to the toilet and I'm so excited because I'm surrounded. Like British British celebrities, they're all right. American celebrities for me are, are absolutely huge. And I go to the toilet, I stand there. And as you do, right, I'm in a cubicle. Not a cubicle, I'm in a urinal. So they're just there, we're all next to each other. And I look to my right and standing there is Puff Daddy or P. Diddy. Uh, I don't know what he was called at the time, but you know the one. And I'm like going... Oh my God, I'm actually having a weed to be Diddy. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. And then all I could think was, don't look down. Don't look at it. Don't look at it. I know you're going to try and look up. By the way, I'm not gay, but I was just like, you know, it's like that thing of like, what? I, it's that fascination. I wonder, I wonder. Don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. Anyway, that's my, that's my toilet story. I've had a wee next to P Diddy or Puff Daddy. <laughs> I had the pleasure of being on Sean Puffy Combs or P. Diddy or Puff Daddy's yacht in the Caribbean. And I was invited to a lunch. And um, there were, I'd say, probably three quarters of the guests were gay. And I didn't. And 
And I don't think Sean was. I had met Sean because he had looked to buy my brownstone in Manhattan, and he had come probably two or three times. And the realtor kept saying, well, he's really interested in it, but he wants you to sell it with all your things in it. And I'm like, all my things? Like, these are my grandmother's thing, my grandparents, portraits, you know? And she said, yeah, he wants it just like that. You know, I'm like, I can't sell all my family things, you know? Well, we established a little bit of a relationship. It was kind of funny. He obviously didn't end up buying the house, but there I was on the boat and he sat me next to him and he was definitely wired for sound and his legs were going pretty quickly. And he was, you know, everybody was having a good time partying away. And then someone sat next to me and Sean said something like, so how does it feel to be the new kid on the block? And I'm like, well, how is it supposed to feel? And the guy on my left took his hand and jammed it up my bathing suit and grabbed my crotch. And I'm like, is this really wow. happening? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sean <laughs> laughed so hard and they all laughed. I said, well, I don't know. I guess it feels fine. I don't know. you know." And then we went on with our lunch. But I'm like, wow, is this what happens? And that was the early days. I mean, this was probably probably 20 years ago. I'm like, uh-oh, geez, what am I up against entering this crazy world? <laughs> and it is a crazy world. Oh, my word. Well, how do you have the happy medium? What do you do? I mean, you're doing a billion different things. And how do you balance your life? Or how do you try? Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's something that I've spent a lot of time working on, actually. And I mean, this is going to be boring for your listeners, but I'm trying to work out what actually life is. Because Obviously, as a young guy, when I was younger, the, the excitement was entertainment, was meeting these people, was going to the parties, was, you know, I played football, I did all these things. As you progress through life and you get slightly older, it's, it's losing its impact for me now. I love the job, by the way. I love doing the TV presenting, but the parties, I'm just not that interested anymore. And then I'm, I'm wondering what actually life is about. And so I'm trying to... Again, I go back to the sort of, um, I do a lot of meditation about um, dying and stuff, only because if you're, if you're thinking about lying on your deathbed, then you can start looking back at your life and thinking, how did I spend it? So, you know, I'm, do, I'm doing a, a lot of podcasting at the moment with people who are analyzing the best way to maybe live your life and spend your time wisely. And, and I'm starting to come to the conclusion that a good walk in the park is easily as good as a showbiz party, if not better, with David Blaine and um, P. Diddy, you know. And I just think it's probably actually you're getting quite a lot out of it. And I also realised that life is about maybe relationships. When you're laying on your deathbed again, sorry to be morbid, you don't look back and go, I bought a beautiful car or, um, you know, I had this amazing suit. You look back and go, wasn't that person nice? Or how was my relationship with my children or my, you know, or any of the other relationships? So I'm spending actually more time than ever thinking, what's the relationship like? What's the, what is the relationship like with other humans? Actually, I thoroughly enjoy doing things like this because I like hearing about other humans and I like hearing what you're telling me now. I get, I get a buzz out of this communication. I think podcasting is the greatest invention of all time because, I, you know, working on TV, I, I do six-minute interviews with people and I just don't think you can get the personality across. Fortunately, my Sunday show is on for three hours and all the guests say the same thing. They all turn up and they, you know, the Americans turn up and have no idea what's going on. And then they realize they're sat there for three hours. Three hours, you've got a real chance to get to learn someone with all the different items and interviews and everything else. You know, generally, as you know, on TV, you get six minutes and it's nothing. And then this you do, you can, we can actually feel like we're getting to know each other a bit because you can ask enough in-depth questions. So, I mean, I'm really enjoying podcasting at the moment and I'm, I'm to try and balance out life. I don't know the answer to that. This is what I'm working on a lot at the moment. Have you got any solutions? Oh, boy. Well, let's say, I hate to like, you've probably heard it before, but COVID to me was, I mean, granted, a lot of people have died. It's, it's not been a good time for most of the world. But in the entertainment industry, the music industry, the presenter industry, it gave us all a chance to step back and actually spend time with our families, do things we hadn't done in a long time. My partner and I were, I say, exiled, you know. I mean, we were quarantining up on a farm two hours north of New York City, a very large farm, and 
We hiked every day and we cooked every day. And we went and we gathered wooden pallets from behind hardware stores and we built a huge fence and an incredible garden. And then I had an old tiki bar behind one of my barns and we built the tiki bar farm stand. And we dragged that freaking thing out the end of the driveway. And every day we'd bring out a couple aubergine and a zucchini and some onions and some squash and peppers and tomatoes. And we, some days we made $100, some days we made $10. But I mean, I always, you know, I reflect going, wait, that's the way life should be, you know, and we were able to really spend quality time with each other. And we met at the beginning of COVID and we're still in love and we're still together three years later. And that was a true test of like, and I just say to people, you know, be careful what you wish for. And that's where on the balance side, here we are. We've now living in, in South Carolina and we have a quieter life, but it's starting to pick up a lot again because we're new in town and everybody wants us to attend every event, et cetera, et cetera. But we still try to cook together. We still take our walks. We still do those things that, as you said, uh, do you want to go hang out with the most famous person in the world or take a wonderful walk in the park with somebody special? Tell you what, that walk in the park is far outweighs. Now, the average American would not agree with me. They'd go, holy shit, what? I can go spend two hours with Beyonce. I'm like, really? I mean, I mean, and you know, when you're bringing up, it's funny. I did the TV circuit, obviously, right after fire. It was just, I couldn't believe it, Tim. I was in shock. It was like, okay, we have Andy King on today, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh God, I can't wait to meet Tim and ask him about his kids. And I don't even know where he lives. And you know, are you kidding? You're like, come on in. Hey, are you okay? Did you get a drink? I'm like, yeah, I got a drink. Okay, listen, stand there. This is what I want you to say. We're going to prompt you with this. But I'm like, oh, okay. So Tim, tell me about your kids though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Later, later. No, but, and, and you know, the media world's like a machine. That's it's where you make money. It's not relationships. I'm sitting there in a little room with a drink and they're like, okay, you're on in three minutes. I'm like, oh, okay, does anybody want to talk to me and just say, hey, hey, what's it like? How you doing? Maybe a handful of people, but for the most part, boom, 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 in, out. I'm like, wow, talking about a lonely experience. And, you know, it was an eye-opener for me. I take my hat off to you to have a show where you can actually talk. I've got, Andy, I've got to say, actually, interestingly, that I, someone recently, I was on a podcast, and they say, what's the key to doing a good TV show? And I said, well, there's so much, but I said, the key to doing good interviews is by warming up the guests before they get on air and I always go into everyone's dressing rooms before the show and go hi how you doing you know what you've been up to and just gauge where they're at and how they're feeling what their energy's like to see how they are and it's it's, that's the bizarre thing with with a lot of the American guys not so much in the pandemic because they weren't coming over a lot so we had to do a lot through Zoom and when they did come over we had to limit the amount of people into the studio and into the building but often with the Americans there's such an entourage to get through to talk to the person but the person's just desperate for that connection because they're about to go onto live TV which is you know intimidating for everyone because you you know you don't know what's happening and you can't redo it because it's live and and I love that that concept of going in and, and, and warming people up and there's people protecting them and I'm like what are you protecting them from it's a conversation there's right. that's all that's going to happen is we're going to have a conversation and the, the worst thing is when you get a list of things for uh, to not talk to them uh, to about I don't want to upset anyone anyway so I wouldn't I wouldn't go you know to the place where I would upset them but it's a, it's interesting that they they kind of get overprotected the but the work as they say is is it's getting the relationships sorted it's all about relationships isn't it and I wonder whether society now are we're very much on our own and I wonder if society is, is a little bit broken I keep having these conversations with people we're supposed to be part of communities the idea that you're growing some vegetables and selling it to the neighbors is a community feel and it must feel amazing and yet we're you know, if I'm buying vegetables, they've come from halfway around the world. There's no connection with where anything comes from. The society sort of broken down and we're very individual. I wonder if we need to get back to being a bit of a community. We've created fake ones on social media, basically. I helped Billy create a community, you know, for pre-fire, which was his company, Magnesis. And of course, you know, talking about PTSD, now my partner and I are watching Inventing Anna. And of course... It's just, have you, are you seeing any of the series yet of Inventing Anna, Tim? I've not seen it. Should I be watching it? Oh, jeez. Well, 
I mean, it, it obviously means more to me than it would you, but it is fascinating where when we talk about building a community and these are all the things that she was kind of focusing on, but of course she was a complete fraud and a complete phony and a scam artist. And of course I, and everybody's texting me the last few weeks going, geez, Andy, did you know Anna? I'm like, oh, I knew Anna. And I was responsible for Billy's lease on the brownstone that he rented in Manhattan, where I negotiated the fact that no one would sleep in that building, that it was a commercial building, even though it was residential, but we were using it as a commercial property as a club for his community that he was building. And of course, this girl arrives and she's sleeping there for months upstairs in the library. And of course, the landlord's, Andy, you've got a problem. We've got to talk about it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, and then fast forward to last week, I'm like, there she is. That's it. Inventing Anna. Oh, my word. That's the girl that was sleeping upstairs. Unbelievable. But the, but you're right. Like the community piece is so vitally important. And one of the things I try to counsel younger people is when I first started my career, I was a headhunter and I placed people in jobs, sales and marketing management and sales and marketing directors. And so you were supposed to do 200 cold calls a day, calling people constantly. Are you looking for a job? calling companies. Are you looking to hire anybody? Grueling. And it was completely against my nature because I was raised in a very proper family. You didn't call anybody unless you had a plan. You didn't arrive anywhere unless you were invited. You didn't, you know, and I had this going in my mind all the time. And so thankfully I was, I was blessed to be a young person with this voice, even at 18 or 19. So of course I'd call and say, Hey Tim, my name's Andy King. And I blah, 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 you know, on, on. I understand you guys are, you know, rocking it in the business world. And I recently moved down from Boston and I'd love to just treat you to lunch and talk about all the great things you guys are doing over there. Boom. I mean, my boss would go, what the hell are you doing, Andy? I'm like, well, I've got all these lunches, these dinners. And I'd say, oh, well, Tim, kind of hoping you and your wife might be able to come over to my home on Saturday. I'm having a cookout and just having a group. You didn't know the, who the hell I was. And generally, I was probably 20 years younger than you were. And they're like, sure, we're in. I never had to make a cold call after about three months because I developed my community and it was all about relationships, as you're saying. And I'm just hoping and praying that, you know, the, the younger listeners and viewers will say, oh, OK, I get it. Like, but there's that fine line when you're watching Inventing Anna where she's just she's developing a community of people that she can scam or she can use. And hopefully you'll develop a community, right, of people that will be by you and, and have your back and and be a good mentor, right? And who, you know, will probably, and I don't want to take too much more of your time, but one couple last questions, like who was a great mentor to you as, as a young age? Who do you remember? Well, for TV purposes, there was a guy over here called, um, I, th I spent a lot of my time watching American TV, if I'm honest with you. So so I spent a lot of my time trying to um, copycat all your greats like Letterman and stuff like that. I, I loved all that. But there was a guy over here called um, uh, Chris Evans who became huge. He had his own masses of radio stations, uh, gigs on radio and he made a lot of money and he was uh, had TV shows and everything else. And, and I worked with him on a show called Big Breakfast and I was only a, a researcher and I, I just, when I went in and, and was working with him, I, it was the unbelievable amount of work he did prior to going on air. And that was the biggest mentor I had. I, I watch a lot of people come in and watch a lot of people work with me and they just turn up and try and wing it. And it's just really tough to wing something, you know, and I think, and I think in any job, if you just try and turn up and wing it, it doesn't work. So I always say like my show's on a Sunday morning. I, my show's three hours long, but I do at least four hours prep on a Saturday where I learn everything about all my guests because I've got to know when I go on set that I can mess about as much as I like as long as I've done the prep on Saturday because I know everything about the guests. So, so he taught me about that work ethic of making sure you've got all your prep done. And it is hard work, but it's worth doing. It makes it fun. And I think that's what people want to watch on TV. So I do entertainment, obviously not the news, but entertainment. I think people want to see people have fun. Andy, I just want to ask you one quick question. It occurred to me, actually. Sorry to interview you on your, your podcast. It really dawned on me when you're phoning people up and saying, hey, it's Andy King. I wonder, like my surname's Lovejoy. And, and I always wonder whether the Lovejoy is a help slightly because it stands out. And, you know, someone phoning you up and saying they're Andy King, you're, you're going to immediately think, 
God, this guy's going to make me money. Ah, oh, I've got to get into bed with this guy because his surname's King. He's a king. I mean, it must, it must help. I, I don't know why. Psychologically, I just think, well, he's got a great name. I'll work with him. Do you think that helped? Yes, for sure. I mean, between the voice and the name, and people would often say, is that your real name? I'm like, yeah, it's my real name. They're like, it's not a stage name? I'm like, no, it's me. It's Andy King. That's it, you know? And I, I do feel like... It gives, you know, a, a certain, it gives me a debonair, certain kind of a fun level platform. But then, you know, maybe I should just be Joe Smith every once in a while, not Andy King. Because very often when I go to parties now, I just say, hi, I'm Andy. I don't even say King. I don't, because well, obviously most of them know who I am at this point. But I just dropped the King because <laughs> it was sort of like, and then the, uh, the irony is that my grandmother was Noemia Dorate del Media de Berganza, and she was Portuguese, and she was, it's kind of a long story, but her father was the physician to the last king of Portugal, Manuel de Berganza, and so she was, my grandmother was the goddaughter, and she, as the goddaughter, got the name de Berganza, and so she came to the States, the de Berganzas were exiled twice from Portugal, and the second time, my great-grandmother brought my grandmother and her two brothers, to New York. And she married Edward King, a 100% Irish, short little Manhattan lawyer. And of course, all of the royals in Portugal thought she bought the name King when she got to the States, because of course, there she was, the goddaughter to the King of Portugal. And of course, you know, my dad would say, you can tell that story. That and 50 cents won't get you a ride on the tube. So good luck with that. But the name King has been helpful for sure. Well yeah, I'll, whatever you're selling, I'll buy because I like it. I like, <laughs> I, like the, I like the voice and name. I'll buy it. You tell me what oh it my... is and I'll buy it. <laughs> well, Tim, my big last final question. Name a time when you had to take a big one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I wish you'd said this because I, oh, God, I can't. I'm just not sure I have. Well, I've never done anything like you were going to do. Let's put it that way. Um, uh, where is it? To, where, do you know what? I'm just not. But you touched on it earlier. Like, I won't lie. Like, there have been many situations where, as an event planner, I was bidding out a project. Yeah. And I'd call a big company in London and I'd say, you know, oh, I understand you guys are looking for someone. Blah, blah. And like, oh, yeah, geez, Andy. But we've got, you know, our boards in here only next Tuesday and Wednesday. We're making a decision. I'm like, what did you say? Tuesday? I'm in London on, I'm flying into London on Monday. I'm meeting with people on Monday night. And I mean, I'd gladly, and they're like, really? That would be, I wasn't going to fucking London. Are you kidding me? But I would just say, hey, I knew that's, that's what I needed to do to lock in a job. Boom. I would spend the money, invest my time, get on a plane and get there. And I probably did that 10 or 15 times. But just being in front of people in person made such a big difference that I could close any deal but doing it over the phone was a challenge. And so I felt like I took a big one for the team doing that. It wasn't about the blowjobs. It was more about like going the extra mile. I'm sure in building your media career, you've probably had to do a few things like that. Well, when I started, it was definitely the the, the case of I'd made myself um, uh, a bit of an irritant to a lot of people because I thought they've got to know who I am. I'm embarrassed by the sort of stuff I used to do now, but I literally used to just write to people on a weekly basis. I've got this whole file of 250 rejection letters. I was constantly going around making um, show reels, pretending we'd all heard about cable TV in America and there's no such thing over here. Then this thing started up called Cable London. No one knew what it was or I don't think they still do because it kind of arrived. And I just used to walk around pretending I worked for Cable London, interviewing people at, uh, at like premieres and stuff. And there, it's that great thing of no one knows what it is. So everyone goes, yeah, I'll do it. So it's a bit like how when the internet started, you go, I've got this thing on the internet. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's the internet. It's magic. And so I just walk around and I work for Cable London. So I got interviews with celebrities for my showreel all the time. And, and you know, obviously they never saw the light of day because I, I was just I was just lying. But but yeah, I, I constantly hassle people. And then, the, I mean, I always say this to young people, if you do have a, like young people listening, you know, the, the, the work ethic, you can't ever get over the work ethic, which is for me, we're always the same one. Be the first in, the last out. And I was working for free, by the way, doing this. But when you're young, first in, last out and ask all the bosses or the people who are important if they want a cup of coffee, because then they'll want you around. 
make yourself useful. I had so many young people who worked with me uh, uh, who used to go, is it all right if I go home now? I've got a party. And I used to always think, what party have you got to go to that's more exciting than working in TV? I want to go to that party because fuck me, I think TV is amazing and it's a great job. I have no idea what this party is you're going to. And I just think people forget that. And I, and I, and, and I just do think, you know, you've got to keep that work ethic going. But yeah, I hassled the shit out of everyone, Andy. I mean, I'm sure by the time I actually sort of arrived on TV or sort of as a researcher and stuff working on TV shows, I'd be meeting people and they'd go, oh, you're the guy from the showreel. Oh, you're the guy from this. Oh, you're the guy from that. I really did sort of prostitute myself out there in any way I, I could to get myself out and about. And people knew I was because I hassled the shit out of everybody. But, yeah, so, so I suppose that's how I went the extra yard. Well, there was no blowjobs, though, Andy. No <laughs> blowjobs, I promise you. I got it without doing a blowjob. No blowjobs. Wow. Come on, Tim. How boring. So boring. But, you know... Your journey does sound exciting. And I think you touched on really quickly, which I do want to touch on fast, is wearing a lot of hats. You want to get somewhere today, you better be prepared to wear a lot of hats. And you you said it so well. And for me, I would host some of the most elaborate events in New York, LA, you, you name it. And at three o'clock in the morning, people would say, why is Andy's car and driver still out in front of the building? Because you know where I was. I was inside mopping my way out in my Gucci shoes and my fancy suit. Didn't matter. I am always the last person to leave every one of my events. And everybody's at a party somewhere. And I'm like, no, no, no. My name is on the door. My name is on this party as the host. And I'm going to leave it just the way we found it. And hopefully there are more people out there today that are trying to follow the same rhythm i don't know younger kids today will always kind of say and we've talked about it in some ways but when i'm like you want to be successful there's a lot of stuff that you need to do and they'll say well that's really not my job and i'm like you think it was my job to go suck the biggest dick in the bahamas to save a music festival wasn't my job either (laughs) but i tell you what (laughs) you gotta wear a lot of hats to be successful today it's all the hat yeah, my God. Well, Tim, it's been wonderful having you on today. I really, really appreciate it. And what a, what a, uh, what a pleasant experience for sure. What, how, where, why, um, what are the best ways for people to follow you and support you and what you're going, what's going on? Oh yeah. Thanks, Andy. Um, my, well, my, uh, follow me on Twitter at Tim Lovejoy, but my new project, the platform is lovejoy.co.uk. I'd love you if you could go on there and have a look and, and let me know what you think. I like negative uh, feedback as well as, uh, or criticism or critique as well as positive <laughs> stuff. But, you know, if you go on there and find something that's useful for you, there's lots of stuff on there about health, fitness, and, and basically how to navigate through life. Because I think, I think the one thing we're realizing is we're all struggling. We've got this amazing thing, like the ability for me to talk to you across the pond on this which is which is wonderful we've got great smartphones which we can you know if i was alive with my phone if i was alive 50 years ago i'd be the the smartest man in the world with my phone actually probably only 30 years ago i'd be the smartest man because i've got that knowledge right on my hands we've got this amazing tool for communication for knowledge but it's absolutely sucking the life out of us along with everything else and and so so we're spending a lot of time trying to work out how we navigate through that to actually survive and i think a lot of the my conclusion to this conversation with you is people like us are realizing the same thing, which is actually less is more to grow some vegetables right. and sell it to your neighbors, go for a walk and stuff like that. Don't ever forget that that's the pleasure of life. That That is how you live, not not jetting around the world going to uh, parties. But that is good fun, too. <laughs> it is good fun. And speaking of jet, jetting, I'm hoping we'll be over uh, in London uh, the last I think we should be in London the last couple of weeks of June, and hopefully we can uh, we can connect in person. Perfect. I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. That'd be, that would be a, a real pleasure. So let's do that. Absolutely. Well, Tim, once again, thanks for being on today, and uh, I hope you have an amazing rest of your week, and keep spreading positivity and love. I love it. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. This is a Podcast Now production.